We are, as Mike said, this is our final uh, week as we've been looking at this whole creation of God's called time. <clears throat> Calling it time, it's not too late. So we start off, if you haven't been with us, um, talking about forgetting the past. That one of the things about time is we have past, and God has given us grace for it in the past. We talked about seizing the moment, that really all we have is right now. Everything that's done is done, and we have no control over the future, but you have it right now. How do we seize those moments? And we talked about how God created, just within his creation, it caused us to have rhythms, days and weeks and months and years, and how do we live in those rhythms that God has given us. And then last week we talked about the fact that there are seasons of life. There are times in our life that begin and have ends. And then how can we expect God's faithfulness in those? And so today, as we conclude, we just want to kind of ask the bigger question. And that is, why? Why do all the stuff that we've been talking about? What for? Why take time away and, and figure out what your top priorities are and how to get in rhythm and how to live your life so that it's actually lived to the full? What's the purpose in doing all of that? What's your goal? And so this morning, I think where God hopefully will take us is we're just going to get to the deep-seated question of what are you actually living for? And so to help us with this today, we have to realize that last week we talked about seasons, but we realized and we touched on it that all of our life is a season. There is a beginning to our life here, and there is an end to our life. And so what happens? What happens when it ends? Do you know, how, how confident are you in what's going to happen when this life ends? And do you know what's going to happen to you? Do you know where you're actually going? And so usually when we're trying to figure out a reality, and, and for us, when we think about what's going to happen after we die, man, that's something that you can speculate all you want. But usually when you want to know something about something that you haven't experienced, you'll ask somebody else. In fact, I get calls all the time from pastors and even other people back in Michigan where we're from. They'll call me when they think they might want to move to Utah, right? Do you know people are really scared of Utah? It's, how many of you were scared of Utah when you got the train? You know, oh my, look at the hands are popping up. It's like, isn't that hilarious? So what they do is they call and they say, can you tell me what it's like to live there? You know, and I go, I love it. You know, I love Utah. In fact, but that's what I did when Susie and I first sensed uh, the call to consider planting a church out here. I met with Bill Young, who's a pastor of the rock. And that's what I did. I said, man, Bill, tell me what it's like to actually live here. So who can you and I go to? if we're gonna to try to figure out what heaven's like. Who can we ask? Well, that's where the scriptures come into play for us. That's where Jesus Christ comes into play. And also, the writer Paul. Paul was actually given an experience. He called it, I was taken to the third level of third heaven. And so he's seen things. He actually had stuff revealed to him. And so that's what we're going to do is we're going to ask some questions and we're going to talk to hopefully have some people who've experienced it and seen it actually speak back to us. And by the way, I don't know what question you guys have, 
But my daughter Ashlyn, when we were, she was really young, what, like four? She was probably about four years old, and we weren't even talking about this topic, but we were sitting around the dinner table, you know, sweet little four-year-old girl, she goes, so all of a sudden she just breaks out and she goes, you know what, mom and dad, you know the question, first question I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven? And we go, no, honey, what? And she goes, I'm going to ask him, where's the bathroom? <laughs> Is that awesome? <laughs> so that's point three in here. We'll figure that piece out. But let me pray for us, you guys. Let's pray. Father, it's a huge question. And I want to thank you that you have not left us alone in the dark to know what's true. So that's it. I just pray in the name of Jesus Christ for your Holy Spirit to turn on some lights and bring some reality. And then would you work deeply in our heart in light of what you've revealed, how should we live? And we ask that you do that for us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So two things. We're just going to look at what do we know? What can we know? And therefore, what do we do? And if you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, if you want, you can get the K2 app open, and all the scripture will be right there on our app, and you can follow through with that. I'm not going to read through the whole section because it's a big section, but I'm going to be taking chunks out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 all the way through 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. So, and I have to go quick because what do we know? Just from this section, there's six things that we can know and there's four things that we can do. That's 10 minutes, uh, that's, that's 10 things that we need to bust through here. So, hold on. Here's the first thing we, we can know. That there is an eternal glory. So, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, when it says that there's eternal glory or eternal life, the word eternal means without beginning and end. That which always has been and always will be. And so this life has a beginning and an end. But God is beyond this. There is a realm beyond this world that's limited to time and it's eternal. It's beyond all that. Now how do we know that there actually is an eternal glory, that there's an eternal life? In John chapter 18, Jesus Christ said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. So you're a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So Jesus is saying, I have come from another place. There's a whole different kingdom than the one that's in this world. And the reason I actually came into this world was so that you would understand and know that there is eternal life. Because I want to tell you, you go into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, nobody's talking more about eternal life than Jesus Christ. 
And so if he is who we say he is, if he is God in the flesh, not a normal human being, but divinely conceived and lived and resurrected from the dead, and even then in Acts, when he, not his resurrection, but his ascension, bodily ascension, they watched him rise up into the heavens. So what Jesus' death and resurrection and the ascension helps us to understand is there is something beyond this. There is an eternal glory. In Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I'm a servant of God, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect. So you guys, to deepen and further your faith in the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. So God in his eternal thing has a whole purpose. And it was there. The hope of eternal life even before time began. Now here's a, here's a question though for some of you, uh, the normal congregation here at K2 on a Sunday morning. Some of you have become convinced that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And, and the scriptures are truth to a bearing to his witness. So you believe, when Jesus says something, you man, it's like, okay. If Jesus said it, man, I believe there's eternal life. And we believe the scriptures are true. And so Paul comes and he says, I had an experience. I'm telling you right now, everything is about eternal life. This is what really matters. But what about you who maybe are here this morning, or your friends, or your neighbors, your co I have people in my life, right, who just, right now you're not convinced that the Bible's true. You don't believe that Jesus, he was probably, sure he probably walked the earth, but you're not sure that he's the king, uh, the, the risen king of, 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 or, or God. And so if that's the case, then you can't say, well, I'm just going to believe what Jesus said then, if you don't believe in Jesus. So here's what's really interesting. Has anyone else been there? Has anyone actually seen heaven? Now, I'm going to go ahead and throw out a controversial topic here this morning called near-death experiences. And I don't have any idea what you think about near-death experiences. But I have a friend, and his name's John Burke. John is a really sharp, intellectual, critical thinker who became a pastor, and he's a really good friend of mine down in Texas. And he's written a book called Imagine Heaven. And it's very intriguing. In fact, he was on Fox News. So I want you to watch this real quick, and then we'll go on. One in 25 people have had a near-death experience, according to the research from our next guest. So when someone escapes death and tells their story, they may hold remarkable clues that can possibly teach us about a life to come. Pastor John Burke is the author of Imagine Heaven, Near-Death Experiences, God Pro God's Promises, and the Exhilarating Future That Awaits You. He's also the founder and lead pastor of Gateway Church in Austin, Texas. John, good to see you. Thanks for having me. So near-death experiences, you believe in them now. You've yes. studied over a thousand cases of them. Yes. You didn't used to be a religious man, but then became one. Explain that to us. Well, when my dad was dying of cancer, um, someone gave him the first book on near-death experiences, Life After Life. And I picked it up one night, and I read it cover to cover. And after reading, I thought, oh my gosh, like... If this is true, this is the most important thing I could possibly find out about. What were the commonalities you heard in the stories? Yeah, in Imagine Heaven, I write about 12 commonalities, like uh, we, we're ourselves. We have 
uh, a body. And, and in, but they talk about how we don't just have five senses. It's like we have 50 senses. Do we look the way we looked when we died? Or do yeah. we look the way we looked at our favorite age? How do we look? Well, that's an interesting question because people say a little bit different things. And I have my own theory I come up with in the book. But people basically say we're in our prime and you recognize each other. And they see beauty, not unlike Earth, mountains and trees and, you know, gorgeous flowers, but they experience it in other dimensions of time and space. Is there a, is there a peace? Oh, it's unbelievable. People talk about, well, many people talk about being in the presence of this man of light that they know to be God, and in his presence, they never want to leave. They, what, what people always say is, I felt like I was home. I okay, feel like that's where I But belong. you know the skeptics say, this is all BS. Oh, absolutely. And this is people who are having maybe pre-death experiences, yeah. and they're, they're connoting something that they've heard on television or read in a yeah. book. Well, and I was an engineer before a pastor, so I have a very analytical mind, and I ask a lot of the same questions. And I've interviewed doctors uh, who have had these experiences, and I write in, in Chapter 2 about skeptical doctors in the afterlife, what it was that convinced so many cardiologists and oncologists that these are actually showing us some picture of what's to come. Is there anything that jumps out at you as most persuasive? Well, uh, there, there are a lot of accounts, but like, for instance, there was um, an article written in The Lancet, a prestigious medical journal, about a man who came in, cardiac arrest in the hospital, um, his dentures were taken out, he was unconscious, they did CPR, he was unconscious for a whole week, moved to another room. When he comes to, he tells them where his dentures were, that they were put in this crash cart in this other room. He couldn't have possibly seen that, except he said he left his body, he witnessed what had happened. And but can't there be, you know, the hearing is still there, and something is seeping into the computer that is your yeah. brain. And I, and I talk about accounts like that, Pam Reynolds, uh, where she, I can't go into all of it, but she had clickers in her ears, her eyes were taped shut, no brain waves, no heart, no heartbeat, and yet she saw exactly what was going on and described the, the saw they were using to operate on her brain and it didn't wow. look anything like a saw. Wow. But she described it in detail. You know, that book Life After Life, I can say this, really helped my mom after my dad died back in 1985 and I know it helped you and was the beginnings of this. It is called Imagine Heaven by John Burke. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me here. Let's hope you're right. <laughs> Isn't that a great last line? <laughs> I love that last line. Man, let's hope you're right. Well, I want to tell you, man. So some of you are probably sitting here this morning. If you're, if you're a deeply rooted Christian in Scripture, you might be going, I don't trust near-death experiences. And I totally get that. My deep-seated faith, is I'm just going to tell you, for me, is totally rooted in God's Word. But I know John's faith is rooted in God's Word, too. And as you read his book, what's interesting is him showing how these experiences match God's word. So could it be that God so wants people to know that there's something after this life that he's given people a taste of it? That's up for you to decide if you want to read that book. So there is, according to scripture, and Jesus Christ and Paul, an eternal glory. And that's the other thing that's so cool. Apparently, when we die, it's glorious. <laughs> Like, I love the fact that, that, like they said, that we don't experience things with five senses. It's like there's 50 senses. Can you imagine that, you guys? Who loves food? Anybody love food? I was at Sea Salt last night with my sister and my, and my wife, and I'm sitting there eating this. We're just enjoying this, and I'm like, I'm going to have better food.
food than I've ever had. We're going to feel things, see things, experience things in a deeper, richer, more glorious way. The other thing that almost every person says when they have these experiences is they sensed a love that was like nothing they had ever experienced before. Deep-seated to the root core. Now, if God is love and you come into his presence, I am thrilled at the thought of thinking that someday I am never going to question again whether I'm loved. Won't that be awesome? To never wonder again, but to be in his presence, it's going to be glorious. There's an eternal glory. It's basically, I think, it sounds to me from scripture and from these experiences that, that heaven is basically all the goodness that we have right now on steroids. And that's pretty exciting to me. Number one, what do we know? There's an eternal glory. Number two, we get a new body. And that's what John was talking. 2 Corinthians 5, one through, uh, starting with verse 1 says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in, talking about your body, if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed. Anybody groaning about your body? <laughs> groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with a heavenly dwelling, so that whatever is mortal may be swallowed up by life. What in the heck's Paul trying to say here? He's saying, your body that you're in right now is a tent, and you know that tents are designed for the purpose of being set up and torn down. That's what a tent is. So he's trying to help us understand this body you're in is yours, but it's going to be destroyed. But the new one is a house. It's a building. It isn't built to be destroyed. It's actually going to last. The other thing he's telling us here is you're not going to be naked. You're going to be clothed. You are not going to be some ethereal spirit that's roaming around in the air. That's not what you are. You literally have a body. And so Paul later in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, someone will ask, well, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? Will they come? And Paul's answer is, well, how foolish. This is so interesting. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So you need to know that. You're not going to be a ghost. You're not just going to be a spirit. But what is that body going to be like? He says, it's like a seed. Can you imagine, right, like a little apple seed? He goes, that's your body right now that it's sown when you die. Your new body is going to be so glorious that it's going to be like the full-grown tree. Isn't that awesome? I have no idea what that means, but that's pretty cool. <laughs> so, no, but, but one thing we know, you can know now today, you will be in a body in this afterlife. Number three... We are home. 
Right? So that's what John said. Almost everybody says, I felt like I was finally home. Well, look what the scriptures say. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, this thing, we're away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, and I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Man, I, I want to tell you, that's really good news. Because what's interesting, you guys, I don't care. The best vacation you've ever been on that was absolutely thrilling and you loved it. Isn't it weird that when you come in and you fly and you drive back and you come up your driveway, there's something inside of you that just says, man, it's good to be home. Well, that's this. Your life on this planet, the scriptures are so clear. You are not a citizen. Once you're a Christian, you are not, this is not your citizenship. Your citizenship is actually in heaven. You are literally passing through. You are on a journey in this life that has a beginning and an end. And eventually, you're going to go home. So entering Susan and I, we decided three and a half years ago that we want to take our family to, to, to Europe. So we're on the five-year saving plan. <laughs> right? We thought maybe after five years, we might be able to save up enough to go over and, 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 and take our kids to Europe. As much as we're investing in that, it's still a small penance of what we invest here, because that's not our home. We're going to go spend maybe a few weeks over there, but I'm not going to pour everything I am into three weeks in Europe. That would be ludicrous. Come back and go, oh man, I got nothing for the rest of my time here. So I just want to encourage you right now. See, do you believe, do you know this isn't your home and what are you giving your life to? What are you totally investing in? We're going to go home. Number four, we're going to reap what we've sown. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, let me just make so desperately clear here. The whole teaching of Paul and Jesus is that salvation, eternal life, is not gained by what you do. You do not get to heaven because you were good enough on this planet. You are saved by grace through faith, not by works. So please, everybody hear that, because this is, this is, you need to understand that. But if you can throw that verse back up there, 2 Corinthians 5.10, apparently, just as clearly, me, who have totally put my faith in Christ, and therefore, he says, you have eternal life. I already have it. And I'm guaranteed, as we'll get to, of heaven. And that even though I'm not going to be judged whether I get into heaven, once I'm there, I'm going to receive what is due me. Now, can I just be totally honest with you? I've read so many scholars and, 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 and uh, different people and messages, and, and nobody can tell you exactly what it is you're going to receive. But you need to know, it's you are. You're going to reap somehow what you've sown on during your life here. Let me give you, maybe, here's some clues. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 says, 
Paul goes, what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? What is it, he says, what's the reward? And then he says, is it not you? Is it not you? So one thing I'm thinking that we're probably gonna receive is the benefit of other people in heaven. <laughs> because we poured our life into them, ministered to them, and shared the good news of how you actually get there. So that's Paul's reward, is people. And then you've been given talents and finances. And Jesus, this is where Jesus so clearly many times says, what did you do with what I gave you? Which kingdom did you invest your finances in? Which things did you give your talents to? What did you actually live for on this planet? And that's why in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and varmints destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be. So somehow, what you do with your finances right now, you're going to receive what is due you based on did you totally give everything that was given to you and invest it in this life down here in Europe? Or did you invest your finances in stuff that's going to give eternal treasure? That's huge, man. That's going to be a conversation you have with Jesus, all right? And seemingly, the other thing, when you read a lot in Scripture, it's like God is going to give us more responsibility. It's very, I don't have time to get into this. We'll do, do a series on heaven in the new year. We'll get into it more. But somehow what it seems like, God says, when you're faithful with a little, I'll give you and entrust you with more. And you need to know, man, again, we're not ethereal spirits floating around. We're not playing harps on the clouds. Literally, eventually, someday, Jesus is going to restore heaven and earth. Right now, there's a separation. When Jesus culminates history, earth and heaven come back to the way it was originally meant to be. And we will be on a new earth. And we will live and we will work and we will reign. You're going to live and somehow what you do today is going to be who you are in heaven. So we're going to reap what we sow. Number five, that God has made us for this purpose. And this is so important, 2 Corinthians 5.5. 5. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. So here's what Jesus is revealing to us, you all. Why are you and I here? We're here to be in relationship, to understand, to grow in our understanding of who God is. And then, but what are we actually fashioned for? What work did he do in creating us? We are for eternal life. This is not all there is. And that's why Jesus says this. If we're made for that, he says this is eternal life. And now he defines it for us. Eternal life is that you know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. So eternal life is knowing God. And that's why when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he says you receive eternal life. Why? Because it doesn't have a beginning and an end. And so when I receive Christ, my past is totally taken care of. Amen? Absolutely redeemed and completely forgiven. 
He's with me right now in this moment, and he's speaking to every one of you right now. And he is Lord over our future while we're here, and then when our days are done, we'll be with him in his kingdom. So if eternal life is the kingdom of God, what that means is it's where God reigns. It's where his will is done. And that's why a Christian is someone who said, I no longer am going to call the shots in my own life. I'm not going to be the king of my life anymore. I realize that Jesus Christ is my creator and my God who made me for himself. And so I put my hands up in the air and I surrendered my life and now he reigns in me. He is my king. So here's what I've said so many times. Let me just say it one more time. That's why heaven the kingdom of God, it's the place where God's will is done. And that's why Jesus says, you can't see the kingdom, you can't enter it unless you're born again. What does he mean by that? He means you, your sin against God must be forgiven. If heaven is absolute oneness centered around God, and that's what it is, and right now, God is not in the center of your life at all. And you do whatever you want. That's not going to be heaven. And so you have to have your sin forgiven so you can be reconciled back to God. Because that's what heaven is. And then, what's interesting is then he says, I'll give you a new heart. See, I will never, I would never choose to follow God unless I have a new heart that he gives me that now longs for him. And so you need to know, you guys, I'm, I say it so much. I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad you're here this morning because I'm going to say it one more time as clearly as I can. Heaven is not going to be earth again. And nobody wants it to be that way. But if everybody's doing their own thing, then it's gonna be earth all over again. So the only thing that can, the only reality of heaven is it is the place for people who've had a heart transplant, literally, and now have put Jesus Christ at the center of their being. That's eternal life. And if that has never happened for you, I just gotta tell you, you can't, die and then go up there and say, hey, why can't I get in? And God's cause like, because this is where everybody does what I say. And you just didn't want to do what I said. You didn't want to believe in me. You didn't want to trust me. You didn't want to receive me. And so it literally, it's almost like I've heard people say that basically what happens, God just gives you the desire of your heart. You got to have your, forgive, your sin forgiven and you need a new heart. And that's why the sixth thing that we know about heaven is that the Spirit actually guarantees what is to come. 2 Corinthians 5.5 5 says, the one who fashioned us for this very purpose is God, and he has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So God wants you to know today. He do you know, can I just ask you point blank, if you don't make it home today, and this happens every day to somebody, do you know where you're going? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life? 
Do you know Jesus Christ? Not about him. Do you know him? Is he inside of you? And what the scripture says is the Holy Spirit is given to you as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. In other words, in Romans it says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. And if we're children, then we're his heirs. And we're heirs of God and we're co-heirs of Christ. Do you have the Holy Spirit inside of you because you know that you have lived a life against God? Has he ever convicted you to the point where you realize, oh my gosh, I never have had God in the center of my being? And did you confess that? Did you receive forgiveness of all of your sin through Jesus Christ who paid the punishment for you? And because of that, do you worship him with all your being? Is his Holy Spirit sitting inside of you going, I know you're a screw up, Nelson, but you're my kid. And I've forgiven you of your sin and you are guaranteed to be with me. Do you know that? As John said, he goes, man, when I realize there's something after this, if there's anything after this, this is the most important question I have to deal with. Are you, do you know? Because then we get down to how do we live? Man, I gotta go fast. But number one, we don't lose heart, you guys. Again, we talked about this last week, so I'm not gonna hit it deeply. But once you know that this life has an end and you get to go to eternal glory, Paul says it far outweighs every struggle that we go through on this planet. So then you cannot lose heart. There's a strength for you because you fix your eyes on what is unseen. You know and you believe that there's something after this and it gives you strength. Number two, how do we live? We live by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we live by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 4, 18, we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, and here's what's crazy, every one of you knows this to be true. You know this life is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Do you know there's something eternal? And do you, do you fix your eyes on that? So Hebrews 11, 1 and 6 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Isn't that cool? I can't wait, right? It's going to be fantastic. So how do you live your life? Can I ask you that right now? What do you, how do you live? How do you walk? What moves every decision that you make? What do you live for? Do, is the only thing that, gar that garners your attention and your devotion and your energy, and as we've been talking about your time, what gets all your time? What you can see or what you can't see? What do you live for? See, once you realize there's an eternal life that I was purposed for and fashioned for, it completely changes what you resource and what you give to here because you realize, man, this is short. And I am not going to give my whole life to this, get to heaven and look back and go, what was I doing? <laughs> Why didn't I live for things that are eternal? So we live by faith. And then number three, how do we live? We live to please him. 
2 Corinthians 5, 9, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. And this is right after he says, man, we're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to receive our due. So man, he goes, well, in light of that, I want to live in a way, I just want to please God. And see what Hebrews said is that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you don't please God by trying to do all these, you, you please God by believing in him and trusting what he said and then living for him. So can I ask you again, what is your goal in this life? When you did these last two weeks and you thought about your rhythms and your days and your weeks and your years, when you thought about the season that you're in, what do you live for? Is it to be as successful as you can be? Is it to enjoy this life as much as you can? Is it just to be happy? See, in this... By the way, I want to enjoy, anybody else want to enjoy life? <laughs> Even the scripture says that God actually wants you to enjoy. 1 Timothy 6 says he gives everything to us for our enjoyment. But we're being duped into thinking that the stuff of this life is more radical, more beautiful than eternity. So that's why we did this series, right? Let's make a big deal. I got to ask you, what's the goal with your finances? I'm not going to let you stand before Jesus and say, man, I never heard this. Where is your treasure being invested? Are you returning to God? What's his? Or is it all being poured into yourself on this planet? It's a big deal. What is your goal with the church? Because the church is Jesus Christ's body. This is his bride right here. So what's your goal with his bride and with his body? Do you love others in this room as Jesus loved you? Do you? Because he says that's how people are going to know you're my disciple. You guys, our love for each other in this room is what lets the world know that there's something more beautiful than what we're experiencing here. And then he said, I mean, I gave every one of you, if you're a follower of Christ, you have a gift from my Holy Spirit for the benefit of my body. So again, and Jesus just talks about this. He goes, I give five, I give two, I give one. And some people take their gift, they dig a hole and they stick it in over it and they do nothing with it. And so what does Jesus say? Okay, man, take that gift, take that talent away and give it to the people who used it. What are you doing with the gift? Are you using it in his body? And I got to tell you, you're going to stand before Jesus one day and you're going to receive what is due you for what you did or didn't do. Don't play this game. This is not a light thing, whether you just come and go to church or whether you are the church. It actually has eternal ramifications. What's your goal with compassion? Right? Matthew chapter 25. Jesus says, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. And he goes, man, you, 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 you totally fed me and you took care of me and you visited me. And everybody goes, wait, I never saw you, Jesus. When did I do that? He goes, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. And he says, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, receive what is due the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. See, guys, I, why, do I, why do we do this every week? Why do we gather together? Why do we open up his word and pour this into you? And the scriptures couldn't be more clear. Do not be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. 
And once you understand that your life here is so short and it could be done tomorrow and then there's an eternity, it totally affects how you live down here. Lastly, how do we live? We urge others. We urge others. 2 Corinthians 5.11, since we know what it is to fear the Lord, since we know what it is that eventually we're gonna be with him someday, we try to persuade others. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 3, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, look at this, I tell you, now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Guys, if eternal glory is true, if there is an eternal life and if it's the kingdom of God and if it's the existence where Jesus is the center of people's lives, if you must be born again to enter, then I'm just gonna quote Penn Jillette, right? You guys all know Penn Jillette down in Vegas, big showman, complete strong atheist, says, how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them? What? are you living for? What do you actually believe about Jesus and about eternity, about our life here? We don't live for eternal life. We, why don't we live for eternal life? I think we're just duped into thinking that this was what it's all about. We don't have a clear enough vision of it. That's where we're gonna talk more and more about it. And here's the other thing in light of this series, because we're really busy. We're really busy. And most of us are really busy doing stuff that doesn't really matter. And that's why we did this whole series. So, as the band comes up, let me just tell you what's gonna happen in heaven. Philippians chapter two, verse nine and 11 says this. It says, therefore God, talking about Jesus, it says, therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Some of us are gonna fall on our faces in absolute worship and praise. But apparently every person is eventually gonna get on their knees before Jesus. And that's why K2 the church exists. And if you're a Christian and you're part of this church, that's why we're here. We wanna help every person know that you can receive forgiveness for your sin you can receive the Holy Spirit and have eternal life now, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the strength, the wisdom, the hope, now. And you can be assured that when this life is over, you'll enter into eternal life with God in heaven. So, this new song that we're gonna sing right now, says, for all that you have done, we will pour out our love. This will be our anthem song. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. 
you are the one our hearts adore. Our affection and our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus. And I love the fact that it says it's gonna be poured out on the feet of Jesus. Because when you're down like this, you're at his feet. And you're humbled and you lay your life down for him because he laid down his life for you. He poured himself out and died for you so that you could live with him. So man, while we're singing, you guys, if you're here this morning and you don't know where you're going, man, we'll be right over here. We got a prayer team. You guys, let's come right back in here. We'll be in this cubby. My wife will be there. We'll be, if you are ready today to put your faith in Jesus Christ, you believe now there is something and I need him. Man, we'd love to pray with you and help you to come to that decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord. And for the rest of us, let's remember what we live for. Let's remember why we're here and let's remember heaven. Let's remember we're purpose for that and let's live in light of that glory, all right? Let's stand together and let's worship.